0: Good morning, church. Uh, so glad to have the opportunity to be able to speak. Uh, opportunity to just to be able to get in front of you, preach God's word. Uh, I said this the last time I got to speak in July. Uh, I love getting the opportunity to speak in front of our youth. I get to do that routinely. That's a regular thing for me. But the opportunity to gather in front of the church as a whole, this is special. Just an amazing opportunity uh, to be able to present what God's been laying on my heart um, as we get to continue the study. A little over three years ago, the Lord blessed me with the opportunity to become a parent to my son, Brantley. Um, if you got to meet Brantley, he's a handful, and I love him a lot. Uh, throughout the last three years, we've added our daughter, Emmeline, and she, she pushes my patience, but she's great. Um, and there's a lot that I've learned about myself and about my kids in the last three years. learned a ton about them, but there's, there's one thing in particular that I learned very early on disobedience is something that comes extremely natural to them. It comes extremely natural for these kids to act in disobedience. Um, Sure, there are learned habits, and I'm sure I give them a lot of horrible habits, but disobedience and sin comes naturally. I'll, I'll, I'll never, very vivid memory, my son was beginning the process of eating whole foods, and he was sitting in his high chair. And he decided that it was the best idea during that time to be throwing his food off of the high chair, um, which was not a great idea, but he thought that was the best idea. To which I looked at him, I said, Brantley, hey, man, you got to stop. No. To which he continued to look at me, never broke eye contact, grabbed the chicken and dropped it off the side of the high chair. And I thought, man, I've given him what he's called to do and completely utter disobedience. My daughter, on the other hand, um, I, I wish I could tell you a story. There's just a lot that I could tell you. Um, she, it comes very natural to her. When I tell her no, she laughs. Like, you want to be in prayer? Be in prayer for me and my wife because our daughter is a lover. But it, <laughs> it comes natural. But on the flip side, when you look at disobedience coming natural, obedience is something learned. It's something over time, especially as I've watched my kids, as as me and Mackenzie continue to teach our kids what it looks like to operate as human beings, um, obedience is something learned over time. Today what I want to spend time talking about is what is true biblical obedience. Um, If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Daniel chapter 6. For the month of August, Pastor Noel was walking through a series of, of living in Babylon. What does it look like to live out the gospel in a pagan culture uh, the concept that we have so many different things in our lives that are grasping for our attention, what does it look like to live out the gospel in the midst of that? For Jesus to be your everything, to live that out in all that you do. And we're going to be studying a very popular story throughout Scripture, Daniel and the Lion's Den. You've heard this before. But my hope and prayer is that through this we would begin to see True biblical obedience and what that looks like and what the result of true biblical obedience looks like in the life of a follower of Christ. Uh, I know for me, uh, y'all get this special, I prepped this sermon three weeks ago, so the Lord's been working on my heart for three weeks with this message. So I'm really excited to be able to tell you what the Lord's been laying on my heart. So, let's read. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, we'll read the first five verses. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom "...stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be held accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself amongst the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy or no corruption was found in him. Then these men said, "We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God." So there's three major parties that we're going to be talking about throughout the chapter of Daniel chapter 6. Three major parties. First one, Daniel. Now we've 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 heard of Daniel before. The book is titled Daniel. Daniel is a prominent figure throughout this This is somebody that we've studied Uh, a little bit of an interesting fact to know about Daniel at this point maybe y'all knew this I I didn't know this growing up in VBS at this point Daniel is in his mid to late 80s Um, Daniel has been in the kingdom been serving multiple kings at this point for a long time Um, which I don't know about you makes the story of Daniel and the lions then that much more impressive he wasn't this young 20 year old CrossFit dude that that hopped in and just defeated the lions no, Daniel, Daniel's lived life. He's lived through multiple kings at this point. He's a, he's a seasoned veteran at this point. But what we see happen is we know that over time, Daniel has received a ton of favor. It's not just because of Darius, but Daniel has received favor in the kingdom. If y'all heard Caleb speak a few weeks back, the king where he gets a lot of favor is Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar, is, he dies at the end of Daniel chapter 5, enter into the equation Darius, But Daniel is experiencing much success. Now, why is he experiencing the success? Because he's he's being obedient to what God has called him to do. Now, I think we have to be very careful about that. Noel talked about this uh, a few weeks back. Our obedience to what God has called us to do and us being faithful to what he has led us to be does not guarantee earthly success. I think we have to be very careful to believe that here. Because, um, again, we could, we could walk through the, the stories in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, which I'll refer to later on in this message. That Some of them didn't experience, they didn't experience the success as a result of their faithfulness. But there's a commonality. Why, why, why would Daniel experience success and the others wouldn't? Because it brought God the most glory for Daniel to experience success. This was the outcome, especially as we study Daniel chapter 6, that brought God the most glory. And this glorified his name as a result of Daniel experiencing success. So we have Daniel. Secondly, we have Darius. Darius is the king over this nation. We talked about it earlier. He, he is the leader that came after Belshazzar. Uh, Darius, uh, we'll learn later on in this passage, had a lot of, he had a close connection with Daniel. Um, him and Daniel were very tight. Uh, a lot of that being, Daniel was a man of integrity. I mean, we see that Daniel's successes is because he walked in integrity and he experienced uh, moving up in the kingdom more and more success. Him and Darius had a close relationship. But then you've got the other administrators. And what we know is, is they, they didn't like Daniel at all. And there's a couple of reasons why that could be the case. Firstly, uh, like I said, he's, he's a Judean exile. He's older. They probably didn't want to have to listen to what he had to say. They probably thought he he had seen his time. It probably wasn't best to listen to him. A lot of people didn't want to hear what Daniel had to say. But probably the more logical reason as to why they didn't want to listen to Daniel is what we know about these people is is based upon Scripture. They they weren't men of integrity. Oftentimes people in that day would use their political position as an opportunity for financial or political gain. It was an opportunity to to better themselves. And if Daniel's moving further and further and further up the ladder, that opportunity is becoming less and less for these administrators. So they're caught in a predicament, right? Their their successes or things that that are going well for them could be coming to an end, because what we know about Daniel is he's a man of integrity. That's what it said in Scripture. So they look up and they think, okay, well, we got to catch him, right? We we have to catch Daniel. We have to eliminate him from the process, and they can't find anything. How how awesome is that? Maybe that doesn't for you like it for me, but the only way that they could trip up Daniel was his faith. Church, I pray that that's what I'm known for. I pray that that's the only thing that you, I'm sure there's a whole lot more that you could trip me up for, and I'm not similar to Daniel, but I, I could only wish that that was who I would be. That that's the only thing that these administrators could utilize to remove Daniel from this position of authority. What a thing to be known for, to be known for your faith in that regard. Let's continue reading. Verses 6-9. through So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed." So King Darius signed the written edict. So we see here they developed their plan, right? What's their plan? Their plan is, okay, if anybody, we're, we're, we're going to create this religious edict that if anybody bows to any god except the king, they're going to be thrown into the lion's den. Now, you read their, their verbiage. I'm very big on word specific. They're, they're very manipulative in their wording that they present to the king, right? I mean, they go up to the king and they say, King, all of the administrators, prefects, satraps, everybody has signed off on that. Well, that would encompass Daniel at that point. I mean, we know that Daniel and Darius had a close relationship, so they have now presented the verbiage that Daniel is now included in this, acting as if he signed off. A lot of people would say, okay, well, if if Darius and Daniel had that close a relationship, then why would Darius sign off on this prior to going and talking to Daniel? Well, there's a couple of things here. Darius probably saw this more as a political opportunity than a self-promoting opportunity. He probably saw this as a chance to unite the kingdom, to be the king that everybody loved, to be the king that when they needed a mediator between themselves and the gods, they would turn to Daniel. I mean, to Darius. I don't think any in any of this Darius sought to to manipulate or or to throw Daniel under the bus, he just saw this as an opportunity to unite his kingdom. So he went for it. And you notice how, again, their verbiage, they they got him to sign off on it. In order for Darius now to to backtrack on this, he would have lost... I mean, it says at the end of the passage, he, he couldn't, it was irrevocable, it couldn't be changed, but even if he could... This man would have never have been respected again in his reign. He would have lost serious face in the process if he would have backtracked on this. Let's continue reading. 10 through 15. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened up toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any person who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown in the lion's den? The king answered, As a law of the Medes and the Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles has ignored you, the king, and the edict you sign, and he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So what's Daniel's reaction? I mean, he's been, he's been given this. He, he finds, says in verse 10 he learns about the document. What's his response? He does what he always does. He prays. Daniel didn't act in, in any accord other than what he had already been. He prayed to the father. See, Daniel understood this concept that something can only, only be done in prayer. And you notice that, that these administrators didn't take very long to try to go catch him. I mean, they probably got this, this edict to be signed, and then they went immediately to go catch Daniel because they knew what he was going to do. That's, that's the kind of person Daniel was. Daniel wasn't going to change himself when the world asked him to be something different. He was going to remain faithful to what God had called him to be. I love how the passage says that he thanked the Lord. I mean, Daniel knows the circumstances that are about to be dealt to him. He knows there's a possibility he may not live to tell this story. But he thanked the Lord for what's about to come. I I, I find that fascinating. I find that fascinating. Warren Wiersbe says, when you fear the Lord, you have no need to fear anyone else. I think Daniel lived that out. He understood the fear of the Lord is the is, is the greatest thing that we can have, and he didn't fear there was no guarantee that, that but if faith that Noel talked about in Daniel 3, that he lived that out. This is what Daniel sought to be. But again, I, I love the administrators are fascinating to me. Look at what they do and how they manipulate the situation. They don't run to Darius and say that Daniel bowed. What do they do? They make him reaffirm the edict that he had just signed. They say, well, king, didn't you say that if anybody does this, this is what happens? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is who did this. Daniel did this. And you notice that, that Darius hates that this is taking place. I mean, you, you, you notice the type of relationship that they have. Darius immediately tries everything in his power, to, it says till sundown, to try to save this man. But we know it's not going to happen. I mean, again, even the administrators come back again and make him, reaffir- they make him reaffirm this three times that this isn't going to take place. It made me wonder, why, why, was, why was Daniel so important to Darius? Well, i got to believe that Darius saw to have people around him that he could trust. He saw to have people around him that walked in integrity. Church, we do the same thing. I mean, I look at my ministry. I, I desire to have people surrounding me that I can put my, my trust in, that walk in integrity. If I can't trust you, it's hard for me to give you any, any leadership or anything like that. We, we live that out on a day-to-day basis. I don't like to have wishy-washy people around me. I want people around me that are going to be constant. Darius had a close relationship with Daniel. Let's continue reading. Verses 16 through 18. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. Notice as a result of this, as a result of Daniel living out his faith in such a way, it led to Darius acknowledging Daniel's God as he gives him his last-ditch effort. He looks at Daniel. I mean, Daniel lived out his faith in such a way that Darius knew his faith was of that value to him that his last ditch effort of offering hope to him is, May your God save you. My hope and prayer is that the people that see me, my faith would would exemplify the same thing. But we see in this passage that that Daniel's thrown in this, there's this huge stone that's put in front of it. A lot of it's similar stone structure that was used when Jesus was, was placed in the tomb for three days. You weren't moving that stone. Um, it, it wasn't this tiny little stone. Daniel Daniel wasn't getting out of this lion's den. It wasn't happening. But it even talks about how, how Darius went up and put his signet ring on it. These signet rings were to exemplify like a family heirloom almost. It, it, it represented your family. It was particular to the specific person. And when you put your signet ring on something, it was a seal that that, that was your stamp of approval. But notice that it wasn't just Darius that put his signet ring on it. I mean, had Darius done that and Daniel survived the day, people could have accused him that maybe there was foul play involved. Maybe Darius somehow figured out how to manipulate the situation where Daniel get out. But it talks about all of his nobles went up and put their signet ring on it. It was impossible. It was impossible for Daniel to get out. This is a fun fact. This is not. But, but, but about this, I learned back in that culture that they wouldn't feed these lions for days because they wanted it to be instantaneous when they got in that den. You want to talk about an impossible situation for Daniel to succeed? This was it. At least it seemed that way. And that's why you see Darius. He couldn't sleep. He went home and it says that he fasted. You, we don't know what he's fasting to necessarily because We don't believe at this point that he has faith, but he just, he's so overwhelmed because he knows how impossible of a situation this is for Daniel to survive. And he, I mean, makes you curious. I mean, we know what the outcome is, but at this point, if this was a story being told, it's pretty bleak. Let's continue reading 19 through 24. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, He cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God whom you continually serve been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths and they haven't harmed me for I was found innocent before him and also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed for he trusted in his God. The king king then gave the command that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den, they, their children, and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. So Darius wakes up, got no sleep, runs to the tomb. As soon as he can possibly see, he runs there. He's probably sleep deprived, probably needed a good cup of coffee, didn't have it at that point. He gets gets to the tomb and he just cries out, Daniel, did your God save you? And Daniel was alive, right? Whereas we put it like this, God saved him through an angel. This is fascinating. God could have closed the lion's mouth by simply saying the word, but he chose to send an angel to do the job. That angel not only controlled the hungry beast, but also kept Daniel company, similar to the fiery furnace that you read about in Daniel chapter 3. You see the layover with that. God, God saved Daniel. So the question is going to be, okay, so why, why would God save Daniel? Because it brought God the most glory. That's the simple answer. It brought God the most glory. And we're going to see that played out as we, as we finish up this passage. The result of this is all the satraps, administrators, their family, their kids, their wives, we're all thrown into this den, and, and, and it was immediate, right? Immediately eliminated. Sounds pretty harsh, but that was culture. I mean, back in that day, if you falsely accused somebody of doing something, and it was found to be that you lied about it, you, you suffered the same fate that they were supposed to suffer. And they did it to your kids as well, again, which sounds graphic, but they didn't want that type of a mentality to be passed down from generation to generation. They wanted it to be eliminated. And we can see, I mean, again, not that we would ever assume this. They immediately died. The lions weren't all of a sudden herbivores. They, it was immediately, they were immediately done. Let's finish up this section. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, language who live on the whole earth. May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. For he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What's the result of all this? Darius's life is radically transformed. You read, you read the verbiage that Darius uses earlier in this passage, and then you read the verbiage in verse 26. What does he say? He says, for he is the living God. He endures forever. There's ownership in that. He's not talking about Daniel's God any, any, anymore. He's, he's owning up to the one true God. The result of Darius living, or Daniel living out his faith is it led to a transformation within the kingdom but specifically within the life of Darius. Darius' d- decree in this chapter declared that he was God, but his second decree declared that the God of Hebrews was the one and true living God. And it led to favor among the Israelites. What's amazing, again, I don't want to spend too much time on this, not only did it lead to success in Darius, but at the end of the passage talks about Cyrus. If you go to 2 Chronicles, Cyrus is the individual that signs off on the building of the temple again for the Israelites. I mean the Israelites experienced so much fruit and success as a result of Daniel's obedience to what God had called him to do. So what do we take from this? We've we've broken down the passage all the way. What what are some takeaways that we can get of what true biblical obedience is? I have three points and and we'll start wrapping up. First thing, biblical obedience begins in discipline. See, Daniel's one of those stories that uh, we we read about in in VBS. It's it's part of the hall of faith found in Hebrews 11. And oftentimes, I think we have a false understanding of Hebrews 11. Um, I think we view it as these people that are these superheroes of the faith. We give them the hall of faith. Like, they're the individuals that stepped up to the plate when the moment mattered. And they did something amazing. And we look up and we think we are extremely inadequate. And we can never do what they did. But here's the reality of it. Daniel didn't do anything special. He did what came normal to him. He operated in the discipline of being obedient to what God had called him to do, so that when the moment came up where he was called or he was asked to step up to the plate, he did what came natural. Daniel's obedience was normal. That's just who he was. And we're not talking about some sense of, of Daniel had a habit because habits are broken very easily, right? If you want to see a habit broken very, very easily, I want you to go to the SFA Rec Center on January 1st, 2024 and go back on February 1st, 2024. You will see that habits are broken very, very easily. But discipline so much more than that. It's not something that you do. It's a part of who you are. And you notice that that Daniel didn't, he didn't change who he was when the moment arose. He did exactly what he had always done. If we can't be faithful up front, how can we ever expect to be faithful or ready when our number is called? If you're not faithful in the now, I think we're going to really struggle to be faithful when it's time to come. That's, that's, a, that's a practical thing. That's just not a spiritual thing. I'm a huge athletics-based guy. Sports, if you don't practice, you're not going to be ready for the moment when it comes. You have to prepare yourself in such a way that when the moment comes, you're ready because you put in all the effort and you were ready. Church, we need to be disciplined in our faith. We need to be disciplined to God's Word. We need to be disciplined to prayer. Biblical obedience begins in discipline. Secondly, biblical obedience rests upon God's sovereignty. Here's what I mean by that. We've got to acknowledge up front the trials and tribulations are going to come. James 1, 2 speaks to that. Consider it pure joy when you face trials, not if. When you face trials, the trials are going to come. We have to understand that when the trials come, they don't define our ability to react in faithfulness, to be obedient to what God has called us to do. Regardless of what's to come, we need to rest on the idea that God is sovereign and he is in control. He has a perfect track record. He has not failed us before and he will not fail us ever. We need to rest upon God's sovereignty. Now please hear me say this. Us resting upon God's sovereignty doesn't necessarily affect the outcome. We need to have that Daniel 3 type faith that even if, but even if it doesn't go the way that we think it will, God is still faithful. And we know that he is still in control. Again, I said this earlier, we're, we're the same way. We, we desire to put our trust in people that are trustworthy. Right? I, In the same way, our God has a perfect tracker. We can put our hope and faith in Him. Church, we need to rest upon God's sovereignty. And lastly, biblical obedience leads to fruit. The result of Daniel being faithful to the Lord. The result of Daniel being faithful to the Lord, regardless of the outcome, is that we see a change in the life of Darius and even to come within the life of Cyrus. True biblical obedience, when we're obedient to what God has called us to do and to be, is that we produce fruit. It is the natural response of obedience to God's Spirit. We spent the summer with our youth ministry walking through the fruit of the Spirit, and we talked about this every week. If we are abiding in God's Spirit, we will produce fruit. That is the natural response to this. As much as when I plant an apple tree, I expect it to produce apples if the Spirit of God lives within us and we are being obedient to what it has called us to do, we will bear fruit. That is the natural response to that. Jesus makes so many different parallels to that throughout Scripture, specifically in Matthew 7. He says, you will know that they are mine by their fruit. Like, fruit is the natural response of true, genuine, biblical obedience. I told you all at the beginning, um, Disobedience is not taught; it comes naturally. Uh, disobedience is something that, especially as I've watched my kids, we're born sinners. We're born sinners. You can see that within the life of a kid very early on. But I said on the flip side, obedience is something learned. I'm not saying that Brantley is perfectly obedient. He's not. Mia um, and McKenzie been struggling. She just rolled her eyes. So yeah, he's not being perfectly obedient. But it's something that he has to grow in. It's something that we learn over time. And what I took away from this, specifically for myself, and this is just for me, okay? What type of a life am I living to the people that are watching? Are they seeing biblical obedience in my life or are they seeing something else? And more times than not, I, I don't think that I'm living the life that I'm supposed to live. So I'm going to throw myself under the bus, parenting fail, this is great. Um, probably the area that I struggle in the most in my life, I'm laying all my sin on the table, is road rage. I'm not very good at driving on the road and and keeping a a level head. Uh, I apologize if you see me on the road and I don't seem calm. That's just who I am. Um, So uh, I knew it was bad when my son started to imitate me. So me and Mackenzie had bought in Brantley this, uh, it was a Light McQueen motorized vehicle. Uh, and we were just out driving on the driveway. We were having a good time. He was riding around. And he had gotten a little bit far away from me, um, up from me to that clock back there. And I, I saw him, like, stand up on it and start yelling and pointing. And I'm like, what is he doing? Like, I can't even understand what he's saying. And then I get closer, and I hear him say, move it. You're going slow. And I'm like, <laughs> he's watched his mama drive way too many times. <laughs> but, man, My son watches everything that I do, and he imitates me, good, bad, ugly. Am I living my life in such a way that my son would be pointed to Jesus? Daniel lived his life in such a way that Darius was pointed to Jesus. That's that's where Darius' eyes were fixed on. And church, we've got to, the question comes down, are we producing fruit? So I want to wrap up like this. To the non-believer, if there's anybody in this room that, that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, I've talked about all this, we've talked about this passage, and you like, I, I, I don't have that relationship. I, I want to make the plea to you that Jesus is worth it. That through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are able to have life, in life to the full. And that understanding these concepts of God being sovereign, of us having purpose, of us bearing fruit, that's foreign if Jesus is not the center of our lives. So if you've never made that confession before, if you've never done that, um, at the end of the service, we're going to have a time of, of, of reflection, of, of coming down up front. If you, if you want to come up front and make that a commitment, I, I want to have that conversation with you. But to the believer in the room, three simple things. Are you living in discipline today? Are you resting in God's sovereignty And how does your fruit? Are you bearing fruit? The natural byproduct of submitting to God's will for our life is that we bear fruit. The question you have to ask yourself is, are you bearing fruit? Are people around you being pointed to Jesus or are they being pointed to something else by the way that you live your life? We're going to pray and continue in worship. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thankful for this time. Thankful for who you are. God, just your provision over all things. Thankful for the story of... Daniel. How Daniel was a man of integrity. He was a man that sought to exemplify you in all that he did. Um, I pray that we would seek to be like Daniel. And Lord, I just pray that you would place people in our lives. Lord, people are watching already. Lord, let us be conscious of the people that are watching. And God, that we would point them to Jesus and Jesus alone. We are grateful for the opportunity to gather together as a corporate body to worship you. God, be glorified. We love you. Amen.